It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and welcome to everybody, our weekly gatherings of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and all of those who like to help people in the world of business. Uh, Jeremy, we're going to talk about misconceptions today, uh, not only the, the common ones about IO and, and you know, with our discussions, there's quite a few of them. Uh, and some people don't even know that IOs actually exist. Uh, but I'm also really interested about the, the future misconceptions about IO. So. Uh, where would you like to start on this one? So first off, so if anyone you know is, isn't in the live event today and is listening, you can find the just search either Seabock or or me. You can find the discussion that we have going on. Lots of people contributed some really some really good ideas in terms of what the misconceptions are and also how we can handle them. And as far as future misconceptions, we'll talk about those as well today. A, he- a good heads up. So ne- I think next week. We'll do another post in preparation for our June 28th event, which is titled The Relationship Between HR and IO. And it's going to be a similar kind of a post where we, you know, HR, you know, what are some of the things you want to know about IO? Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, IOs, what do you want HR to know about you? What are some of the comparisons and contrasts? We can really start to get that conversation going. So it seems like these are helpful for the, for the IO and the workplace community. So I'll read down the list. We, there, there are some duplicates. We have a, a, a list of 11. I'll go ahead and just read down this list of common misconceptions about IO, and then we'll open up for discussion. I'll hand it over to you, Tom. So the current list, I posted it in the chat for anyone listening. Number one, our skills are the same as someone who has an MBA misconception. Number two, we are not analytical. People are unaware that we have rigorous statistical training. Misconception number three, we are mental health professionals. Probably the biggest misconception. Number four, people have not heard of our profession. That is correct. Many people haven't. Uh, IO and organizational development are the same thing. That is a misconception. We care about, We. I'm sorry, number eight, we do not have the business acumen that MBAs do. Misconception number nine, IO is involved with factories and helping people work harder, more productively. Misconception. Part of that, part of that, of course, is true. And that's where they, they, they stick on the uh, industrial part. You know, part of that's true, but that's a tiny, tiny. Uh, number 10, misconception, the lack of understanding of the need for IO as a separate department. 
within organizations to fill the many organizational needs. So the thinking behind that, I believe, is there's an HR department. Why isn't there an IO department? And then, see, that's what we're going to have next week, too. We're going to have, or I'm sorry, on the 28th, and with this discussion that's posted. Because as things are going to, mark my words, uh, things are going to look a lot different in five years than they do today. We're we're starting to drive where does IO fit? Does IO fit at the decision maker's table as a function of more strategy, where they're leading really HR, L&D teams, etc.? The suggestion here, should it be a different department? Should there be a collaboration? Et cetera, et cetera. And those are things that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And that those are things that we'll discuss on the 28th. Number 11, we are wizards that can fix any problem was a misconception. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm trying to remember who put that. There was an end to that too, a lighthearted, but we're really just people with above average IQs. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> so I remember him saying that, but it's not posted yet. <laughs> And I think um, you missed. I think you missed six and seven there, Jeremy. That um, IOs care more about the business than the employees, and that IO and HR are the same thing. Thank you. Those are very important. Yes, Tom. Yeah. So I'd I'd love to hear you know from other people here today. What are some of the misconceptions that they've heard, or you know, what are some of the things that you've been asked to help with that don't really fit into your um, work philosophy? Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. <laughs> I'm sure there's some good stories there. Well, I think that <clears throat> generally speaking, the misconceptions, in my opinion, are rooted in two different things. One being that all psychology is the same. So everybody's a therapist. Any psychologist must be a therapist and they have a magical power to control your mind and make you do things. So I think that is rooted from that assumption that, that psychology is just one thing. The other part of that, if if there is some kind of understanding of what IO psychology is, I think there is a misunderstanding that we are therapists at the workplace, which we are not, or that IO is the same as HR, which was one of the things that Jeremy, Dr. Jeremy was reading off. So I think that there's, the misconceptions are clearly rooted in lack of understanding, which to me goes back to proper marketing of IO and educating the public of one, our existence and what it is that we do. One of the things that was on the list that Dr. Jeremy read that I wanted to comment on was the idea that um, something about not not having uh, statistical training. Um, a lot of people don't realize that psychology is a science. It is a science. And uh, when you are a PhD level IO psychologist, you have had PhD level research training like any other scientist with a PhD. So again, it goes back to a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge on, on the topic. So there's lots and lots for us to do in terms of educating others. Thank you very much for that. And Lee, let's go to you next. And yes, you're absolutely right. Sorcerers, not wizards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the the base problem of all of it is the fact that 
half of, you know, probably over half of psychology doesn't even know what we are. Back when I was in college, and this may have changed since then, but we had, we had two master's programs at the time. We had counseling and we had IO psychology. Uh, I started off in counseling, figured out that was the wrong path and was asking about IO because I had no idea what it was. And I was in the college. And the basic, the basic thing that I got was I was told it was essentially the human, uh, the people side of HR. So even within our own community, you know, we, we still have some, some work to do there. And, and, and I think really with, with things like PSYOP and stuff like that, it's so academic that it really doesn't reach so much out into the marketplace. And it was one of the things I love about CBOX. They were trying to, to do some changing on that, but our PR sucks essentially. So uh, we need to do something about that. Yeah, actually, and, and Jeremy, it's your hand up. So let's go to you. So is there anyone that uh, practices or is in uh, the IO kind of field in South Africa that's on the call today, that's here today? I'm from South Africa, but not practicing IO there. I'm in America now. So you might have, you, you, know, you might have some insight. So something that I got, I received a, uh, a message from someone who was looking to put together like a, an interview panel for IOs and I forget the I forget the organization but it's interesting because what they are does my 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 end question is going to be in South Africa do they see IO as something different than we do and take a more counseling approach I'm going to read and I'll read this out while I share so here are the topics that they wanted that they're looking that they were looking for people to discuss Workplace Counseling 101, Navigating Workplace Counseling as an Intern, and the, the Role of Industrial Organizational Psychology in Post-Trauma Crisis Counseling and Job-Related Stress, Therapeutic Approaches. So just to clarify, and again, it's, it's, this is very strange because this is actually, in, in my view, confirming a misconception. So this is a misconception. In fact, we are not able to you know, ethically, legally provide mental health counseling in the workplace. We're not uh, able to do that unless we are a licensed clinically practicing psychologist, and then that would actually be dual, and we couldn't do it anyway. In fact, as an IO, as someone who's practicing IO psychology, if we come across something like that, we have to understand our competency level and refer out. We can't get into it because we are not clinically licensed for that type of thing. And just to go a tad further with the explanation of it, they were looking to, you know, PTSD um, and, and a crisis counseling. So my question is, and this is, this is from an actual association, an industrial organizational psychology association in South Africa. So is it different there? I guess is my question. Do you know? Yes, it's very different there. Um, to practice IO in South Africa, you actually have to be registered as um, like a clinical psychologist. You have to sit for like the board exam and do like a two-year, I guess I'll call it an internship where you're like supervised and you have to get those hours um, as if you were like training to be a therapist. Um, so yeah, the field is very different there. Thank you, Kim. So that's helpful. So this is a big, I think this is kind of a big piece of the puzzle for all of us. Because if we're talking you know, about industrial organizational psychology being called the same thing internationally, but being practiced very, very, very differently. 
that is a big awareness piece that I have never until I received this email a week ago knew about. And I don't think if anyone else has, let me know, but I don't think anyone else has. It's just, I think it's a processing moment for all of us. I'm going to turn it back to you, Tom. Thank you much, Jeremy. And and Amanda, I see your hand back up. So Linda Ann, just hold on one second. Amanda, let's go back to you. So daycare's closed. So if you hear a four-year-old, I apologize. Um, He's meandering all over the house. So I I ended up... I just ended up having a conversation with someone in an attempt to try to cultivate a role for myself in which it would be IO focused, but also a blend of um, organizational, uh, a blend of organizational health and wellness at the workplace, but not the clinical counseling portion. And what came out was that there is a business need for a licensed therapist in house. So it, it, especially as it relates to uh, crisis counseling, the industry in which I work with, and there is occasionally the need in transportation, if accidents occur, that there needs to be a licensed clinical therapist on hand to be able to step up um, and help with that. And would I be able to do things like psychological first aid underneath a clinical psychologist? Absolutely, because I'd be seen as having oversight from this individual. But but I think a lot of the business need also drives it. And given that they also are trained, some of them are trained in like the interpersonal items, it, it almost can be seen as a duplication of a skill set almost where it's not totally as duplication, but a possible perception of a duplication of a skill set of having having both an IO psychologist versus a clinical or counseling psychologist in house. Yeah, I think I think every company should have a clinical psychologist and then as many IOs as you need. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So for me, you know, as a person kind of outside of the IO industry and learning about it all the time and having some kind of um, marketing background, would it appears to me, especially in light of the list of areas, the niches that you've identified for some of the IOs, is um, what what do you want your identity to be? Because there needs to be some kind of overarching identity created and that communicated as meeting a certain organizational need. Because the continuation of saying, well, we can do all these things isn't helping that communication. And so if you can say, well, we help in this particular aspect and it needs to, because most of the things that when I'm listening, it sounds like it's focused towards larger organizations. And so how do you really work with that 50 person company, that 80 person company? So, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, the sorcerer learning what they need what they want to be when they grow up. <laughs> um, so that overarching kind of communication of what you do, and then you can break out, oh, and we, and this is how we do it, might be helpful. Yeah, we keep coming back to that question of what exactly is IO? And, and you know, it still seems that there's confusion out there. I, I just wanted to quickly ask you, um, Linda Ann, about <laughs> Lee's comment that IO is the human side of HR. Is that the way that people in HR look at it? I think that maybe one of the places that, that IO needs to communicate what you do is to the HR community. 
go to HRCI and, and do some education to human resource people because I think in some ways, I'm, and I was writing some notes down here, and one of them was is that human resource people don't really have the human behavior component, right? It's not the why. Are, is this happening? It's just, well, how do we address this issue? But it's not, it doesn't go down to the root, that first principle kind of thing. That's my, ex- my experience and, and what I hear from, you know, colleagues and, and what's addressed in the community. You know, for example, if we're talking about DE&I, human resource things, uh, human resource programs and education and, and those kinds of things are talking about what can we do to to change that behavior but not why is that behavior happening and how do we fix it at that level so i think lee has some you know that's a good point yeah and i think the collaboration between hr and io is going to become more and more important as we move forward ariana great to see you back here and hear your voice go ahead Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. I was actually going to say something similar to Linda Ann, that I do think part of the challenge is how comprehensive and diverse our skill sets are. And I think that's a part of the training that we receive. You know, like we get comprehensive studies on training and then selection and culture, you know, like we span a wide spectrum, which I think, you know, like I said, is the beauty of IOs. We have a lot to offer in a lot of areas. And I think we're also dealing with some history effects here. We're just coming out of the last century that was based in the industrial revolution where people were seen as mechanisms in an organization rather than humans. And so I think like we are well positioned now to build our brand, to focus on the human elements, to focus on strategy. So I don't know that we could necessarily define exactly what we are other than like the people related aspects of the workplace in more of a strategic way. So I do think that it's good to continue to reinforce what we're not because in the United States, like we've been saying, we're not therapists. And But I do think in corporate settings, people are slowly beginning to learn who we are. And those who understand industrial organizational psychology, I feel have a lot of respect for it. So I think us going out there and being very clear on what we can offer, hopefully over time, history will be on our side as we're beginning to prioritize culture and employee well-being and just employee-centered methods of work. So it fosters innovation and collaboration. I think that we add value in a lot of areas. So we're just going to have to continue to reinforce that. Linda Ann, let's go back to you. So my question is is for Ariana. I'd love to hear what your perspective is. When you talked about strategy, it's, it's interesting to me because one of the movements in human resources is to get them to be more strategic from a business point of view, right? And how do does human resources integrate with the business strategy when you're talking strategy what level what kind of strategy are you referencing is there a different strategy to focus on other than that business strategy and maybe that's where we can get some clarity yeah absolutely i think that we focus on the human elements of the business strategy and i would encourage you know a lot of partnership with hr it depends on the role that hr plays in an organization sometimes it's a little bit more Tactical is maybe the word I would use, like focused on what kind of benefits. And it depends on how big the HR teams are. But there are certainly HR teams that hire IOs or organizational development experts. And I think that's a good collaboration. So when I say strategy, I think of leadership. So I definitely think that leadership is an area of focus, making sure that the organization is equipped with strong leaders and that supports the strategy. I think it could be culture. What kind of culture are we fostering for our employees to get them to stay and have higher retention? Um, I think it can relate to values and meaning. So why why are we caring about 
our jobs and how are we keeping people engaged and forwarding an important mission for existing. I think that it's creating these linkages where employees can come to work and be engaged and use their strengths, supporting all of the other traditional business operations that are usually looked at when we talk about strategy. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Back to the question of, so what's IO? Um, and it's, it's, I mean, I think we're getting to the point where it's not one specific thing. We have to get the message out that it's a number of things and that, you know, depending on the issue that you may be struggling with, you may need a different IO. So do we not maybe need to create a list of these are all of the things that IOs do? And this is the type of IO. Oh, and look, you've just brought up a huge list. So go ahead. <laughs> hey, Tom, hey, we've got that mind synergy going. Uh, th- so here, I mean, here's your list, right? Th- this is from the post last week and the results. And if you just, if you go to the website, go to resources, it's right down here in niche IO practice areas. There's the post. You can still contribute. So far, 89 results, some were dupes. And here's a list. And maybe, just maybe this is why there's some uh, ambiguity in terms of the messaging with IO when there's 89 at least niche areas of things that we do. I mean, well, uh, let's think about this. All right. Doctors, they have at least 89 different niche areas of practice. You know, I'm sorry, physicians. And by the way, so this whole thing, doctor, physicians. In the past, academics, you know, I mean, long, long time ago, in the past, academics were called doctors, medical doctors are called physicians. So this is how uh, sometimes we navigate that that delineation. We thought to say physicians. So think about how many niche areas for physicians there are. Well, there's also a lot of niche areas for IOs. And just with this list, it goes back to what someone was saying last time. You've got your general family doctor, but if you have a specific problem with your foot, maybe your pinky toe, then you're going to get sent to a foot doctor and so forth. So this is why there are so many. Tom, over to you. Let's think about this. Is This is a great list, Jeremy, but do we need definitions or do we need even a little video that explains exactly what the IO role is in, for example, occupational health or cultural diversity. Um, it, do we need to help even more with the potential clients? Yes, Tom. That's a great idea. Yes, we do. That sounds like a project. I think I just gave myself more work. Um, <laughs> it was all some more work. But, but think the, about the results, though. That would be incredibly valuable. Uh, sure. Lee, Lee, let's go to you. You know, just uh, to segue off Jeremy said, it's something that uh, Brittany put in the chat. You know, I think that uh, maybe you're onto something there with the physician thing. Because when you, when you, you know, to use the foot example, when you want, you go and you look up a podiatrist or something, you don't, 
you don't just go look the doctor. You look up podiatrist. So maybe the 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 key is that when you niche down, that that's what you use as your title. Like Brittany said, she's a uh, sorry, Brittany, I forgot what you said, but retention consultant or something like that. And that's how she builds herself. So if someone is looking for that particular niche and you have branded yourself as such, uh, you you would kind of go along the same lines as what you know the medical profession does. So maybe 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 that. Maybe that's the key. Yeah. And maybe we can actually, I mean, 89 is a great number of, of topics to have, but maybe we could narrow that down to sort of categories as well that might make it easier. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Lee and, and Jeremy were saying, if you're following that medical profession model, then you would have some overarching general practitioners, right? That were able to do some maybe diagnostics that would help you understand, oh, you need this particular specialist. And so is that, you know, a way to look at the way some people approach the practice is that, you know, they, they are an overarching maybe diagnostician or something like that, that help organizations go to the, the NIO and then they can from there delegate the tools that they need to implement at that particular organization and look at structuring it that way. Because the the businesses, I think, need some way to navigate this list of 89 things. <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. Um, <laughs> so, so, Jeremy, is there a possibility of taking this list and, and going that next step and going, here are our generalists, here are our yeah, I think I think that's definitely something that we make we make a project, <laughs> and I also wonder if it and we we will act on that. I, I think that one thing also some kind of common I don't know way of saying it, some kind of common terminology where we can at least start to help the public make a little more sense. Maybe it's industrial organizational. I mean, I know it's it's a it's a mouthful. Industrial organizational psychology consultant specializing in. Maybe we can find some kind of a standard where it's like blank specializing in or you know whatever it may be i think that might be helpful and next so there's always this question of can you call yourself an industrial organizational psychologist um anyone correct me if i'm wrong but i just wanted to provide this clarification it's governed by your state you check your state some will allow you to most won't because they reserve the term psychologist for somebody who has had clinical practice in that counseling clinical type of realm. So you'll notice if you go to the CBOC website, when you look at our our About Us page and our experts, they all say industrial organizational psychology consultant, with the exception of Dr. Patricia Delgado, because she has had that clinical practice and can call herself a psychologist. So we stick to it the way it's supposed to be there. And we urge everyone else to do so as well. I did speak with somebody this past week that think that that's probably going to be a, a barrier that we don't face in the next five to 10 years, just because of the flood of us coming in. And, th- you know, sometimes things need to change in terms of regulations, but we can understand why, you know, if nobody's heard of IO and for eons and eons and eons, someone associates the word psychologist with somebody who can do therapy. So you go to a psychologist and they assume you can do therapy and then you run into a lot of issues. That's why, especially if you're an independent consultant in your service agreement, you should have something in there that says, you know, although so-and-so uh, has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, XYZ, um, it is not to be confused with any kind of counseling. No counseling will be provided. 
and have that in there in that service agreement very well laid out when your client signs it so that they know, you know, just in case there's anything that comes out down the road. Tom? And Dr. Martha, I think you've got some more information on that for us. So let's go to you first and then Roxanne. Great to see you here again today. I will come to you next. So if you look at the definition of a psychologist, according to the APA, who's supposed to be the the parent organization, if you will, of, of psychologists of all sorts, a psychologist is someone who has a doctorate degree in any of the branches of psychology, and that degree is either a PhD, a PsyD, or an EDD. You cannot call yourself a psychologist otherwise, according to the APA. So, for example, if you have a master's degree in IO psychology, according to the APA, you are a practitioner of some sort, maybe, or a consultant, but you're not a psychologist. So, I think titles only confuse the issue further because that's just the APA, right? That's the umbrella company. Now, what happens within each state right? Each state might do something different. Now, we just heard about another country where IO psychology is a completely different animal from what we're thinking it is. And let's say you work for an organization where you are on their payroll and you're an IO psychologist, but your title might be something completely different, whatever that job title is. So that all of the titles just add to the confusion. And I understand the importance of, of being able to have definitions and um, reserving certain titles for certain credentials. But there are times when I think that just adds to the confusion. Yeah, <laughs> I was confused the first time I met Jeremy, and I don't know if I'm any better down the line. Uh, Roxanne, let's go to you. I completely agree, Dr. Martha. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of highlight is that even now with STEM, that we're part of STEM fields now, I am personally working as a scrum master with a STEM organization that provides STEM learning trainings and everything pertaining to wide, vast areas of STEM, whether it's like physicians, tech related type of things. And one of the projects we are working on is clearly defining those disciplines on their site where physician, oh, we have all of these in different departments. So I think it is a essential that IO also has this because there are so many competencies that we have that not everybody is going to automatically think we have. So I think that is a great project to undertake on the CBOC website. Yeah. And once again, let, let's let CBOC lead the way on this, uh, especially with the international reach, Jeremy. And and now that we know about South Africa, you know, I'm, I want to know about what is Europe doing? You know, what is Great Britain doing? Um, we've talked a, lot, a little bit about the, the current misconceptions, but we also want to talk a little bit about future misconceptions. Um, I, I have a conception. Uh, tell me if it's a misconception, but that, you know, with the move to the remote or hybrid workforce, IO is going to play a pivotal role in that. Is is that a misconception or is that the truth of what's about to happen? That's the truth. I'll, I'll chime in. I mean, when you think about, you know, when you go back to that list, which I'm just going to pull up real quick because that's interesting you mentioned that, Tom. So we look at these 89 different things. So, you know, what is involved with, you know, with the, the the remote type of space? I mean, we've got work motivation, performance measurement, employee engagement, team effectiveness, conflict resolution. I mean, <laughs> the first like eight things, you know, we have telecommunications, um, you know, I mean, there's so many things that will play into that. So I think, you know, absolutely, 
it's going, I think it's going to open up a lot of niche markets and a lot of niche areas for, for IOs who are just getting started to say, Hey, I can become, you know, niche in this area. We talked about saying, okay, you know, just for example, organize my niche area is organizational change, but your niche area, organizational change with small, with, with, uh, with small businesses, then it's small family owned business. Then it's, small family-owned businesses who engage in remote work. So you can narrow, 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 narrow down to speak greater to your particular audience. And that provides some opportunity there. Dr. Ormthill, let's go to you. I would have to agree that that is correct what Dr. Jeremy's saying. Now, whether organizations go willingly or go kicking and screaming, that's a whole different conversation. I think that eventually it will have to become much more of an accepted reality. But as we know, change is slow and oftentimes change happens only because it has no other choice. Yeah, very true. And I think eventually organizations will realize those that need to move to remote and hybrid work that if they don't, uh, they will get left behind. Renwick, great to see you back again. Go ahead. All right. Sorry about that. Um, I was just about to say that I have more questions than I have any suggestions or comments. And and the questions that surface in my mind are, number one, um, what do physicians, when asked what they do, say? In other words, what, what is the f- overarching focus of their efforts? Um, that, that's a question I, I want to ponder, and I certainly want to encourage us to explore. The, the, the second question is, and, and I certainly agree with Dr. Martha, in that many, as they have in the past, I'm sure in the future, um, will go kicking and screaming to embrace and accept what's good for them. <laughs> and, um, and yet at the same time, I wonder how many do finally um, concede and, and accept help only when someone close to them demonstrates their worth. And in the case of an IDAO professional, maybe it's going to take those of us who are close to those leaders to have the conversations at very intimate, personalized levels for them to finally see that, yeah, there is value to be had by opening up and and allowing IO in. I think you're volunteering. (laughs) 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 And I'm sure there's a few other people on the panel right now who are going, yeah, I guess I've got to have some of those conversations. Uh, Roxanne, I'd love to come back to you for a moment because you do work remotely, right? (laughs) So what, you know, as you sit there as an IO working remotely, what is the future and are there some misconceptions you're already seeing? Yeah, so there's probably a lot. Um, So one thing... Since I'm on a project team, it's very different to work globally with across the world. Um, expectations of your, you know, work-life balance is a huge factor to consider. Motivation. Uh, one person we had on our team who was relatively new, it was a lot harder to train them due to their and they were in New York and where the majority of us were in Nebraska. So training is definitely more should be more streamlined and focused. And especially onboarding, um, especially since COVID, onboarding has increased in time span dramatically. For one person, it could take a month to fully onboard them within our organization just to get their, you know, their current laptops and things. And it's it's hard to see that from an organization standpoint 
what the employee or future employee is working through. So clear-cut direction, accessibility to the people in the organization is very vital compared to just sending email. Oh, this is what you need to do for onboarding. Where like my my partner was recently onboarded for an organization where it took almost 40 hours just to onboard him and he didn't get paid for it. And so there's definitely a lot of things to consider strategically for onboarding, training, continuous engagement, work-life balance for these types of roles. I want to ask you because this this question seems to be coming up a lot lately, especially with working with teams that may be international. And it's the cultural aspect, you know, not only our, you know, our personal cultures, but the work culture that, you know, you may be working with people in Spain, uh, you know, where they take a siesta. And this is just normal business practice. So do you think that this is a role that IO is going to be stepping into? And do you think, like, how confident would you be to step into that role? I think this definitely has a DEI aspect to that, just based off of culture alone. Um, Being able to navigate and just really learn the other cultures is going to be vital for this type of a position. Interviewing focus groups with specific employees within those groups would be very beneficial in navigating and training the everybody about those cultures would be very effective as well. And because I'm a voice and speech guy, uh, I'm fascinated about how are international teams going to handle language barriers? Because, you you know, English is becoming the lingua franca of business. It's becoming the global language, but it's also the second most difficult language in the world to speak. So do you think IOs may need some training in phonetics or voice and speech to help in those aspects as well? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things I've been learning since I'm also doing my master's in nation systems management for project management is your project charter. You know, you really need to clearly define how things will be used, how what terminology, things like that. We need all those policies in place to get everybody on a level playing field. And then we can grow from that. And Jeremy, with all this said, where do you think IO is going? I mean, first of all, it's 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 got to be more known. But where do you think it's going? I mean, five years from now is going to look a lot, a lot different than it is today. I mean, so is three years. I mean, I keep now I'm kind of just like tunnel vision onto that list of the of the 89 things. It's because it's so important. I mean, if if your if your field is lacking in a in a coherent brand, and it, you know it, that means it can go any direction. So we've we've got we've got to make sure we get that branding aspect right because. It's, you know, it's obviously very important what we, you know, it's just like denotation versus connotation, right? Your dictionary definition versus what we hear, what we think when we hear a word. So we've got to make sure we focus on that. Um, I mean, a big part of it's going to be organic. And it, it for some reason, I keep getting this analogy of whitewater rafting where you just you got to keep moving and, and go with what's organic, but also make sure you're, you know, you're not, you're not tipping over, getting churned and everything like that. So uh, my mind also goes to, you know, what are the big, what are the big, what are the main things that IOs are getting hired for today? And, you know, what I see is uh, a lot of kind of falling into this dual role of data analytics plus more IO. I, I do see the switch, which is good, farther and farther away from people saying, oh, I'm in IO, I just graduated, so I have to get a job in HR, which of course then feel stuck. And then they're in their second uh, challenge. Um, so I think of this data analytics side, and I also think of all these psych assessment companies that are popping up. I shouldn't say popping up. 
Yeah, I should say popping up. And for good reason, because of the, you know, the great value in terms of hiring, in terms of finding the right candidate, in, tr- in terms of things like that. So I look at what are, what are, what's organically happening and what is our brand being pushed to a little more? And what are we, we going to be start to, what is our brand going to be based on the jobs that we take? Uh, but we have to combine that. What's our brand going to be based on the jobs that IOs are, you know, getting into? What is our brand going to be based on our messaging that we create? And what is our brand going to be based on the current jobs that IOs have? And whether or not they're in a specific IO role, what IO skills do they start to implement into that role? No matter what it is, I'm a big fan. No matter what the role is, you can start to incorporate some IO principles. So there's that. There's a fourth and a fifth piece, which I can't at the moment uh, grasp what I want to say. It's important that, you know, it's a, hey, it's important that we all stick together and get the messaging right and keep having these conversations because, I mean, we keep doing this and we keep doing this. And eventually it's five years from now and we look back and we say, hey, look what we did, look what we prevented from happening and gives our, give ourselves a pat on the back for the progress that we Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So something that Dr. Jeremy was saying just now got me to think about what has been on my mind a lot lately. And that is, you know, we talk a lot about our branding, our identity, the lack of marketing of biopsychology, but we are part of of a larger collective, um, such as the APA, and within that, more specifically, PSYOP. But I don't think either organization is losing sleep over branding of IOs and marketing and making sure people understand. So I keep thinking, are we alone in this fight where we're banging our heads against the wall saying, this is such an obvious problem, we're missing out. And um, those organizations that I think should be significant resources for us are just going about their business like this is not an issue. So that has been on my mind a lot. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to approach that with those bigger than life organizations, because here I am, this little one individual, right? But um, as Dr. Jeremy was talking about this, it just it always goes back to the same thing for me. Yes, we have a branding issue. Yes, we have an identity issue to some degree. Yes, we have a marketing issue. But what's PSYOP doing to help us? What is the APA doing to help us? We are part of them. And yet here we are on this island all by ourselves looking for that plane to to pass by. Renwick, I'm glad you put your hand up because I was actually going to go to you <laughs> to see if you had any advice for the, you know about this because I think Dr. Martha's right where those organizations that IOs rely on maybe aren't stepping up in this area. So how do we how do we deal with that? It's, it's interesting. A couple of random thoughts. One is um, as as most of us here would agree, um, many of the leadership models used today are for times past, not the present and the future, and. And the question is, is is that the same with the powers that be in the American APA, for example? Are, are the leaders thinking about how it was and what was relevant in the past rather than what's relevant today? And and then at a deeper level, you know, what's what's the problem? What are the problems? What are the frustrations? What are the issues that are causing us to dedicate as much time as we have 
to, to these questions. You know, what's missing? Who's missing? What? Why? And wh- what are the benefits to be derived? And and then wh- what are we trying to accomplish? But th- those are, as, as I told you, I have more questions than I have answers. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that's a part of the process because I think we will probably be led closer to what that core m- message needs to be from an all-encompassing, overarching perspective. The, the generalized solutions that are provided or the problems that are addressed or solved or eased. And then it might lead us to the subspecialties in much the same way as physicians have found the general practitioner or the primary care physician as the gateway to the diagnosis that then helps them with their patient determine where they ought to go next. Maybe it's not the end, but maybe it's a part of a process, a continuum of care. So maybe it, what we're discussing is somewhat analogous to that. Well, I love you being here, Renwick, because yeah, you've got some great questions. You also have some answers, or at least you started <laughs> us down the path. Lee, let's go to you. You know, as we talk about this, and I was thinking through, uh, you know, what, what Dr. Martha was saying, uh, you know, I think part of it is when you talk about p- physicians or uh, what most people think of as psychologists, people know what that is. You know, do, do doctors really need marketing? I mean, we know what a doctor. And if you go to your GP and say, hey, I got a problem with my foot, they refer you to someone. You know, when you when you think of psychology, I mean, everybody's heard of, you know, Freud or Jung or whatever. And so there's no need for marketing there. When you think of psychology and you're thinking of mental health, we already know what that is. So us as as this offshoot, this, you know, whatever you want, you know, stepchild, I don't know, whatever you want to call us, um, we're the only group that really goes out into the the regular uh, marketplace. You know, most of your psychologists are not, you know, your, your regular clinical, experimental, whatever, are not. And so, you know, yeah, we, we do have a marketing issue. And the reason I think APA and PSYOP and all them are not really getting into it is because they don't need to. You know, if I'm a clinical psychologist, I don't have to explain that. And uh, so I think we just haven't been loud enough, maybe. Uh, or maybe maybe if CBOG makes enough noise, maybe they'll go, hmm, we're losing our, uh, we're kind of losing our spotlight. Maybe we need to do something. You know, I, I'm not sure what the answer is. I mean, I got plenty of questions just like Renly. But, um, but, you know, that's just kind of the thought I had as she was talking through that is that they haven't because they don't have to. Yeah, really good point. Dr. Martha. So to add to what Lee was just saying, where uh, people think they know what a psychologist is, as long as they're a clinical psychologist, I think that it may be the case for many of us as individuals, we can tell someone what it is we do. We can tell someone who it is we are professionally. I think it becomes an issue when we try to answer that collectively. Because if you ask me, what do you do? What, you know, what's your title or whatever? What kind of doctor are you? I don't have a problem explaining it. But I think when we come together and try to define this collectively, look at the list that Dr. Jeremy compiled for us. That's part of the problem, right? Because we are trying to put this incredibly diverse and broad field in some sense into one little definition. And I think that's maybe contributing to the problem now that I'm thinking through that. Yes, you may have a point there, Dr. Martha. Thank you very much. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So just as part of this conversation, and as it's making my brain work a little harder, um, 
My thought is maybe part of the situation is that the industrial and organizational psychologists are addressing issues that employers aren't really even aware that they have or aren't willing to acknowledge. And so the reason that they aren't um, saying, oh, we need one of these is because they don't know they have the problem yet, so they aren't looking for the solution. Yeah, I think you, you as like Dr. Martha, have hit on something that's that we have to take a look at. And with that, Jeremy, we've only got about seven minutes left. So I want to come back to you because especially in the last few minutes, it sounds like there's a role for CBOC, uh to be a leader in this type of thing. So, so many good insights triggering so many good thoughts. And so now it's like, okay, my mind goes right to action. I think one of the things that we can do for the for the brand is start with, I mean, sound, it sounds like it should sound, start with human resources. So, and then I go to our event that's on the 28th. So who are the people, you know, that are doing, that are, you know, really driving the recruiting process and screening candidates and, and, and really should be starting to know what IO is all about. And those are your, your people in human resources, especially recruiting those kinds of things. Cause they're right. I mean, right. So one thing we can all do is I, I just posted, I'm going to do a screen share and I'm also posting this I'm going to give you guys a little back end on how this stuff works and how you all can help. We got 30 plus people right here. So here's a little back end on how everyone can actually help today uh, and for the next two weeks. We want as many, we, we've done these things in the past. We've get, we have an overload of people that are in, in IO. We want a lot of people in HR, right? We want an overload really of people in HR, especially for this particular thing that's coming up. When you go to this event, I just put the link in. Here's your tutorial. Once you click attend, this button will pop up and it says invite. If you click on this, you'll have this drop down and you can click and you can invite up to 1,000 people per week. You can do it to any event. You can invite 1,000 people a week to any event. We are at a, we're always, we're at a steady 25%. So if you invite 1,000 people, 250 of those will uh, click attend, which is usually a promise ring because then there's that mix between do they actually then get a ticket and that kind of thing. So there's a percentage percentage drop down. But in general, right now there's um, we've invited, I think, 2000 people, 509, uh, what I call promise rings here. So what everyone can do, this could be pretty powerful. Invite all your HR friends. Uh, invite all your, your IO friends. They get when you invite someone and I, I invite many of you. You just get a, they'll, they'll get a notification right in their um, connection box that says, Hey, do you want to attend? So everyone here, if, I mean, this is, it sounds strange, but like this, there's 37 of us here today. I'm just going to say 30. If everyone did this once this week, once next week, that would be 60,000 invites we'd have out. So we need, you know, try to focus on your, on your, we need the more HR friends we can get, but we also need the more IO friends that we can get because we want to start to work and, and really gain some momentum to the extent that uh, we're, we're, we're having that impact that we reach that, that kind of a tipping point. So everyone's able to do that. Feel free. If you don't, we, you know, we're not going to know if you do anyway, because it doesn't tell us who invited you. So you don't have to, you can say, hey, I invited a thousand people, you know, but uh, you know, that's something because I think once we start having these conversations, because who are the people that are in HR, right? They're going to be people that work at companies. They're going to be people representing these companies. They're going to be people that you might want a job at soon. And now you're making a connection. So there's all kinds of good reasons to start to do that. You might accidentally invite that recruiter and then they're on the event with you and yada, yada, yada. So if you can do it, 
Great. Um, and that event's coming up on the 28th. Uh, but we have a, another topic for next week, for our next Thursday get-together. And that's some how to turn training into behavioral changes in the workplace. Do you want to give us a little preview on that? Yes. Um, as far as... Yeah, so that's a, a big topic. I talked to more and more people in IO who really want to get into that training uh, aspect of it, uh, kind of as a foot in the door, at least initially, but possibly an entire career. So that'll be interesting because we always want to give people, um, set people up for success for what they were, what they want to do. And then briefly, I want to respond. So there was a uh, someone mentioned about members on the waiting list. So that's separate from what I'm mentioning here. So basically the screen share that I showed you, that's just an invite to our event on June 28th. Just It'll be an event just like here, uh, right? And there, there's no waiting list, that kind of thing. Um, as far as the waiting list for membership, so thank you for mentioning that. Generally, our waitlet, we're about two to three weeks out. Um, so, you know, we haven't been too in flux that we're making people wait months and months and months. The reason it's about a two to three week wait is we want to make sure people get the proper onboarding and the special attention. Um, I personally have a 15 minute call at least with any new member to make sure that they, you know, answer any kinds of questions. And there are some really great things. Dr. Destiny Preet had a, a mixer last night. Many of our, many, many of our CBOC members joined. And had some great things to say. So thank you for those of you who are there that, that, that mentioned those great things. And also, um, Destiny is doing that mixer. In, uh, we're partnering up, uh, CBOC and her, um, IO. Lee, what's it called? Military uh, vets and IO. IO military experts. Yes. I was close. Um, so we're partnering and that's going to be a once a month thing. I was just, I was blown away at how much fun that event was last week. Try to make the next one. So there's a little clarification on, on the wait list. Um, it, it's it's for good reason to make sure everyone gets on board properly. And next week, yes, we mentioned that topic. Tom, I think that's it for me. Well, I just wanted to mention as well that if once you become a CBOC member, you have access to all the Pathfinder mentors and you can have, you know, a monthly call. So, you know, with me, if you're having some speech issues or if you want to have some better communication, plan a half hour discussion with me. <laughs> um, and with that, Jeremy, we are out of time. So if you want to wrap it up and count us out, we'll talk to everyone again next week. Yes. And to what Tom was saying, yes. Yeah, so there's two different memberships, the Pathfinder, the IACRA Pathfinder. And then for your more seasoned experts, we have our expert. So if you're an expert, you'll just be like colleagues with Tom and you can pick his brain whenever you want. And the Pathfinders, you get to have special, special one-on-one -on -one, uh, meetings. So definitely, oh man, yes. Talk to Tom. And Tom, thank you, by the way, for all the great work. I don't know what we'd do without you. I don't think anyone else does. So thank you for how you lead these events. Counting out. See you guys next week. Five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs> <laughs>